Like there's so much published data about how great companies have grown. Bessemer does a great job. Battery does a great job. KeyBank does a great job. It's all free. It's on the internet, right? Like it doesn't cost anything to read Bessemer's published benchmarks of what companies between 10 and 25 million ARR are the top six metrics, and it's all published on the internet. Then you say to yourself, well, why can't we be one of those companies? Okay, now let's work it out backwards for us to look like top quartile. How do we do that? And what things do we have to do? And what people are missing, right? Hey, everyone! Welcome back to the SaaS Revolution Show, brought to you by SaaS Talk, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth, and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today, and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now, on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, uh, Vishal Sunak, CEO and founder of LinkSquares. Welcome, Vishal. Hey, Alex. How are you? Yeah, yeah, really good. Um, you're doing a day of podcasting, and uh, uh, you know, coming to coming to the end of uh, today's content recording, but really excited to get into the story that you're going to share today, which is some you know amazing growth, uh, which I think a lot of our listeners would would dream of. Uh, and, and so, really excited that you're going to be sharing some of the, these insights uh, into that. Uh, uh, I guess kind of before we do, um, you, you know, and, and we get into maybe some of the teasers of uh, of that, tell us a little bit about yourself uh, as, as a person, you know, who's Vishal uh, Sunak? Yeah, I'm a uh, lifelong New Englander, so I've grown up here in the Northeast of, of the United States, uh, basically my whole life. Uh, studied engineering in undergrads, computer engineering, had a job as like a hardware engineer for a while, then kind of got into SaaS in, I'd say, 2012 and was able to join a couple of great companies. And, and actually the idea for LinkSquares, which we'll get into, you know, came from uh, a direct firsthand experience working at a tech company, kind of seeing an opportunity there. Uh, yeah, I've been fortunate to uh, learn from a lot of great people who have mentored me and taught me a lot through the journey. And um I have a wonderful wife and a and a little girl, little three year old girl. So uh, that's a little bit of Michelle. Awesome, uh, amazing. And so you're the founder of, of Link Squares. Uh, over the last two years, uh, the growth has exceeded a thousand percent. You know, and you, your customer base has grown by more than four hundred brands, including Fitbit, Twilio, Wayfair, uh, and others. Ranked, uh, I think, number two hundred fifty three in the annual Inc. five thousand list. So, congrats on all this impressive growth. And you've grown from 1 million to 10 million ARR in two years. And so obviously you're north of that at the moment. And that's what we kind of want to dive into. But tell us like LinkSquares, what does it do? Why did you found it? Um, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of start on the journey there. Yeah, so founding story is my co-founder and I, Chris, we were working at a tech company together and a bigger company came in and said, hey, we're going to buy this company, right? And uh, I had a job in like operations, which is like a, such a fun job. If, if anyone listening and, and watching has that job, I, I, I think it's one of the best jobs you kind of utility infielding from a baseball kind of terminology or a Swiss army knife. Uh, I got to do a lot of amazing things in that role, like learn a lot about revenue teams, learn a lot about systems, data, moving data around integrations, buying stuff, implementing it. And so when the acquiring company came in and said, we're going to buy this company, uh, I kind of de facto became part of that team that could just help because I had 
done kind of mixed projects and raised my hand on weird special projects from the CEO for years, right? And so um, what what it ended up kind of materializing into is that the company that was going to buy us asked us what was in all the contracts we had signed with our customers. And the answers to like the things that they were looking for were like quite impossible. Like, tell me all the contracts that have, you've agreed to X, but not Y. And, and we didn't track anything. And so it was like a real like light bulb moment. Like we're a series B venture back company experiencing hyper growth. And, you know, we're not super different. And we had lots of kind of contracts, maybe in the thousands, counts of thousands, three or 4,000. A lot of them were like negotiated, right? You redline. You, you redline different versions of your contract or you work with very large brands. Like we had Logitech and Netflix and Financial Times and Waitrose and like all these big, massive brands. And you use third-party paper then because they won't sign like a little tiny company's contract like ever, right? And um, I started thinking to myself, like, why do we not know? How do we not know all these answers? Well, large volumes negotiated. No one is tracking it after it's been signed, right? And we saw opportunity there. So like Linsquares is an end-to-end contract management platform now. Uh, it didn't start that way, but it, it is that mm-hmm. today. Uh, we first focused on could we build like a really purpose-built repository for contracts and apply some really incredible technology through machine learning. Like could an algorithm read a contract, tell you what's inside it? And that was kind of like our original hypothesis like if an algorithm could read a contract really quickly and really accurately maybe even more accurately than a human that would be a great value prop to companies that are struggling with the same thing that we were struggling with which is like i don't know what's inside any of these contracts ever let alone at a kind of once in a lifetime moment you're selling the company but even more frequently like we learned over years monthly and quarterly and even daily right people need answers so that's how we got started and uh, yeah, it's been a joy to work with. Uh, we love legal teams. So if you're listening on a legal team, we're, we're here for you. And um, it's been great to work with all these great companies and learn a lot about how they work and what their challenges are. Awesome. Love that. You know, when you you build a SaaS because you're, you're fixing a problem that you're, you're experiencing and seeing that that opportunity and, and, and the one that you described, I mean, clearly, yeah, it's a uh, uh, a, a real challenge that I'm sure that many of the listeners here and uh, you, you know either have experienced or you know will hope you know potentially experience in the uh, in, in the future. Um, did you uh, you know did you bootstrap the business uh, for a while or, or is it still boot, bootstrapped or are you venture backed? Yeah, we're venture backed now. Um, we've we've raised sixty one million dollars total through series b financing uh we did 40 million dollar round last year uh in the early days we kind of just were using our own kind of personal savings and uh, my dad gave us some dough to kind of mess around with and and that's kind of how we got started my dad was our first angel investor shout out to my dad so yeah no it's uh um well well done well done to your dad and hopefully uh he's um uh, you know, going to do well uh, from this. I mean, you, you carry on with uh, this, this trajectory. Um, what, what other data can you share about the company? So we mentioned about you, you, you're north of 10 million ARR, 1,000% mm. growth. You know, how many people, what, what other data points can you share just to help the, the audience kind of visualize, picture uh, the business? Sure, yeah. So it started from the two of us. Uh, and then 
now we have uh, 250 employees uh, that work mostly concentrated in the kind of Boston area where we where the headquarters is, but then kind of spattered around the United States as well. Uh, yeah, so we did 135% year over year growth last year, which was really awesome. Uh, yeah, we're, we're well north of 10 million ARR. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so like our system has read like 4 million contracts and generated over a hundred million pieces of like contract metadata. That's what we cre can create for you, right? A hundred pieces of data per contract algorithmically out of the box, right? And so that's how I think about kind of scale, right? Like thousands of users and, and now kind of over 500 customers now. All so B2B, yeah, all B2B selling the companies basically. Gotcha. Uh, let, let's talk about then the, the playbook from uh, scaling from one to ten million that that you've deployed, and and you know the lessons and how you've done that. I mean, starting with like, how, how did you know that that is working? That you, I guess, kind of you you had some product market fit, uh, and then you you know what you had to do kind of next. So how did you know? What was that kind of moment? Yeah, I think it's really important for founders to be very involved in the sales, even though. For me, like I'm a two degree engineer, like I've never sold anything in my life or had a quota. Luckily my co-founder had, and so that's like a good pairing as you begin to kind of like think about, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna start a company, who's gonna do that side and who's gonna do the technology side, right? And um, I think it's really important for founders to stay involved like into like a million of ARR. So like Chris and I got, got it to like a million ARR just doing everything we could, right? Uh, some of the first kind of key hires were like, we hired someone that could just build pipeline, right? Cold calls, emails, set, set meetings, learn the sale from us as we were kind of learning it also. You know, we made that kind of first hire, like you know, when we had, I think five or six customers. So we had kind of done the sale five times and we've probably taken 200 at bats to try to get five sales. I mean, the averages are not good when you're kind of starting off new, new company, new product. and and so as we approached a million at ARR, I, that was also when I raised our first seed round, which we raised $4.8 million. And with the proceeds of that seed round, we already had some of the infrastructure in place. We had done an angel round. We had done like a 500K angel round just to build some infrastructure and get, get a couple extra hires. So you know, we had a great technology leader that I could give the, the leadership of technology to a, an excellent CTO, Eric, who's still with us. And um, we had some motions on the go-to-market side, and we had a, an offshore team that could help us keep building uh, very cost-efficiently and, and also get a lot of work built in every couple of weeks and every day, right? And so the journey from 1 to 10 million ARR, you know, happened for us, like, we basically did 1 to 4 million in one year. So we added, like, 124 new logos in one year. And... And that was kind of the moment where I had brought in like a VP of sales, like someone I used to work with, someone who was really expert in kind of the mid-market sale. I think some of the learnings that I've had and reflected on is like, I picked a sales leader who was good at selling products at this price point to this type of like, you know, transactional speed we were looking for, right? Like, could we sell the product for 30K in 60 days or less, right? There's a certain leader that you are going to hire that's going to work for you as CEO that is meant to do that sale and is born to do that sale and has done that sale. Right. 
I think it's so important that you get the right go-to-market leadership fit with your product. Like, let's say you picked someone who is way different. Like, ah, I work at salesforce.com or I work at Workday and I've been doing $3 million deals that take a year, right? That's a different profile than someone who's been doing $30,000 kind of mid-market sales in 60 days, right? And so I found the right fit there. We had kind of the assumption of how we were going to go to market. Um, And then it really is an effort to go from one to 10 and just like focus, focus, focus. Like we had identified some certain segments that were working really well. And that was kind of everything we learned from like zero to a million at ARR. We knew which kind of profile of company, size, industries, you know, venture backed or not, or public or private, whatever. Like we had kind of broken down the DNA of like, which companies were the ones that were doing the things that we wanted them to, you know, buy link squares, $30,000, do it in 60 days, right? Uh, make an evaluation. And then that journey from one to 10 was so much focused on like, stay super focused, build pipeline in the segments that we know are going to close. Don't experiment now. Now's not the time to experiment. We can experiment like past 10 million ARR. But if we want to do this journey one to 10, like all the benchmarks say in two years, the only way we're going to do that is is bet on the closest thing to sure, sure wins, right? And whatever averages that we can do, like you know, one out of our four demos can close, right? We know that data, right? And so much of the kind of early data tracking that we did, we leaned on, right? Like what's our demo to close in biotechnology companies that are over a thousand employees? Okay, that is closing at 60% or whatever. So, okay, well, it doesn't take a genius to figure out you should just build more pipeline in that segment. Hopefully you got a, you know, a couple hundred thousand companies or million companies or whatever that fit that profile. It's not too skinny, right? It's, it's a little bit wide, but it's not like you're trying to sell it to everyone in the planet. Even though for us, our, our challenge has always been every company in the world can be a customer of LinkSquares because every company has contracts. I don't care what your business model is, right? B2B, B2C, B2B2B B2B, through channel partnership. Everyone's got contracts, right? And so, um, building pipelines, staying really focused, and then the product development, right? When you're kind of, we're a little bit of like a category creator too, right? Contract management's like an old category, 20 years old. Most people had focused historically on like uh, pre-signature technology, like contract drafting, assembly. There was like 500 uh, 500 companies doing that type of pre-signature thing. We were different. We started post-signature, purpose-built repository. And so, when you kind of have some of those biases, right, the product roadmap is just like, you're just trying to build the next two important things, three important things. And having that really good feedback loop between like the new business sales team and the customer success team and product, right? And if you can get that flywheel going, it's like new business team is constantly being like, hey, we lost this deal. We were missing this and that feature or maybe this integration. And is there a way potentially for us to not lose the next one, right? Because we're going to keep building pipeline in this kind of same segmentation. And so it's, it sounds easy, but I know it's really hard because I've done it too. Uh, you don't have enough resources. You're always kind of under the gun. You're, you always want to do more. You always want to win that extra deal, especially going one to 10. Uh, and, and, and having that kind of, flywheel going with product and engineering and the revenue team that's essentially the way I used to look at it is like every day we get to talk to the market 
we get to hear what their concerns are. We get to hear how they think about our product, how they evaluate us versus other folks, how they think about that pre-signature technology versus the post-signature technology. Can we be accretive to their needs, even though maybe they are using something else for the pre-signature functionality? It's like all that kind of strategy, kind of you put it in a pot and, and you let it simmer and you keep stirring it every month, every quarter, and, and you add some spices to it along the way. And, and, then, and then it's just like real focus on like, how do you keep on transacting? That's what we used to focus on. Like, um, not, not like trying to over-optimize and get cute on like pricing and packaging or just like things that are working, keep doing and resist temptation to break the, the formula that's working because you think you can do it better or faster. You could, but the effort and the risk is probably pretty high. So those are some of the learnings. Um, hiring, God, hiring like crazy. Just to the extent you can, you know, hire top down, right? Like I today I have six direct reports, right? And they run the whole company basically, right? Marketing, revenue, finance, legal, technology, and then product. And like that's that's the six people that work for me. And so I was really fortunate that I had three of those people already found, already hired, already in. And then it was like, how do we continue to round out the team and then start building in some repeatability kind of below the, the executive team into the next level? Really focus on like, all right, we got to hire, you know, class of 10 account executives and we got to find a way to hire them. How are we going to do it? No one knows about us. Oh, we use like, you know, we use recruiters back in the day and you're just trying to fill trying to fill seats and and use some of those VC dollars, put it into work. I mean, that's what it's there for essentially, right? I mean, VC dollars are there to help you kind of accelerate and go faster on your mission. So yeah, those are some of the learnings. It was a fun time. Yeah. So we basically did one to one to four and that was 2019. And then we did like four to seven. That was 2020. That was COVID. Right. And so, you know, we had a little bit of like a, you know, slow down kind of uncertainty kind of, dialed back a little bit on the expense structure. I really wanted to go one to four to 10, but I ended up doing like one to four to seven. And I was like, that's still cool. Like, that's great. Yeah, we've definitely can keep going this way. And then, you know, then we did kind of the seven to like way above 10, like last year. Right. And, and um, it was just after kind of 24 months that we, we made it to 10 million AR, but that was a journey that we took. Amazing, amazing. What about, um, you know, sharing some insights in terms of like, you know, because we've spoken a lot about the sales and the importance of that, selling to the right customer, uh, you know, working on and keep doing, you know, what's working uh, and not trying to change the, uh, the, the, the wheel there. But from the sales side of things, like setting quota, how you've gone about doing that, modeling per like rep productivity, um, funnel conversion rates, uh, uh, and so on. Is there the, the, the stuff that you can share around that? Yeah. So like we knew that, you know, world-class kind of, this is like published on the internet, right? Like if you're running a world-class inside sales team, you're closing like one out of every three demos you do, right? That's called turn rate, right? You do three demos, you get one customer out of it. And so we kind of aspired to be like, how do we, how do we continue to get there? Right. And, you know, setting, setting quota in the early days, it was like, who the hell knows? Like we had had some benchmarks and baselines with a kind of couple reps we had, you know, ramped and were, you know, being very productive and, and, 
in in kind of the early days, it, it was like, you know, can can four people do 250k each? I don't know. Like we think it's possible. Can they do 250k each, or can they do 300k each? Right. And it kind of yeah, Alex, to kind of like answer your question, like you kind of need like another year's worth of like looking at it, right, and examining it over a long time, right. Now, kind of Link Square is at at the kind of level that we have with like 40 account executives, right? Just pounding it every single day. You know, now we know everything, right? We know ramp time, we know productivity, we know they'll contribute before they're 100% ramped. We know kind of what the benchmarks are in the first five months, six months, 10, 10 months, a year, two years, kind of what their promotion path is to, is the high flyers all kind of, you know, become on, you know, on desk billers and they transition to off desk billers. But some of that we just kind of like figured out year over year. We just took another year, another couple quarters, another three quarters, four quarters of data, kind of made a made an assumption on kind of what we need to fulfill for next year's plan, like, you know, triples and doubles, like how do we back out the math? And then every year, can we just ask them to do more? Right, two fifty. Then it became like five hundred. You know, now it's like you know over seven hundred quota, right? And then break down the funnel, right? Like how many how many opportunities will they need? What's our demo to close, right? I mean, demo to close when we first started, you know, felt like one percent, like a hundred to one, right? It felt like one percent back in the day when Chris and I were selling, and and over time you start seeing it get better. Okay, you know, it's ten percent. It's ten to ten out of every hundred bio. Well, that's great. You know, then it's like, wow, 15 out of every 100 have bought now. Okay, well, what's going on? Oh, man, the product's getting better and we're getting better at messaging it and objection handling and all that sort of stuff. And, um, and you know, now we're, you know, now we're doing like industry, you know, industry best in class, right? Doing like one out of every three. And it's just something you kind of aspire. You have it a little bit aspirationally kind of pushing your team a little bit more every year, not like every quarter, like, you know, you set, set it for the year and just like live with it. Right. You back out the math. Like, you know, we're trying to go, you know, one to 4 million ARR. How much churn do we expect? How much new business uh, should we be doing? How much upsell do we need to do to have like, you know, over hundred percent net retention and you kind of back out the math and then whatever that new business number is, you kind of multiply you know, what that is times number of reps, right? Or divided by productivity. And you kind of figure out like, okay, yeah, we need 20 fully ramped sellers. Okay, what are, how are we going to do that? We only have seven right now. Well, the worst time to hire reps is when the year starts, if you're like calendar year, January. You know, the best yeah. time to hire ramps yeah. is X amount of months before they're fully ramped. So like for us, that's like five month ramp. So like, you know, best time to hire reps is July and August, which we do every year, right? We load up on reps in July and August. We ramp them. They contribute in Q3 and Q4. Then they're fully ready to go for next year. Kind of like thinking ahead. I think a yep. CEO, as, you, as you're kind of moving through the years and moving through the revenue curves and moving further, it's like your job is to think about like next year pretty much exclusively. Right? I have to think about our future. I, I pay all the people who work for me to think about today, make today great, right? But today is also a reflection of something we thought about six months ago or last year. Right. And so it kind of it transitions your job transitions a lot, too. So how how have you like filtered out the noise of being in SaaS and what really matters? You know, how do you prioritize the things that matter as the, you know, as the leader of the company, you know, and operating with that high conviction, making these, you know, uh, the bets that you need to make? 
Yeah, to the, to the extent, you know, a lot of trust, kind of trusting your gut, but, but also like not getting obsessed in things that really don't matter. Like fundraising is not real life. And, and the more you look at like, oh, this, oh, this competitor, oh, I saw it in TechCrunch, like, oh, they did this huge round of financing. Like, this is crazy. Like, yeah, but fundraising is not real life, right? Like, if you want to obsess over fundraises and like you read TechCrunch every day, you'll just dive deep into like the rabbit hole of like valuations and fundraises. And I will tell you with 100% certainty, fundraising is not real life. It's something you have to do. It's a necessary evil. If you need cash, you need to go do it. But it's like a moment in time thing. Running the business is like real life. That's like real life. That's the fundraisers are reflections of how you're doing as a leader, how you're doing, you know, metrics perspective. So I never really obsess over that. Um, competitors will exist no matter what. They will probably be older than you, raise more than you. You've got to find a way to deal with them on the real battlefield, which is like in the sales process, right? And 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 you know that Michael Phelps picture, you know, he's reaching for the wall to win the gold medal and the other guy's looking at him. Like I always tell the company, like, we got to be Phelps. We got to be looking for the wall right now, not looking at who's to the lane to the right or left. We're focused on doing our thing, right? So that can help you a lot. It's harder to do than to say because it's so easy to get trapped into that, like fundraising and tech crunch and who's being published and what are the rounds are people doing. Um, and the other thing is just, I've, I've always just run the company on strong fundamental SaaS metrics. Like at the end of the year, what is all the six, seven metrics that we need to show up with? What are they going to look like? And what do we make? Have we made the right forecasts? Have we made the right assumptions? Like, you know, what's CAC payback going to look like? What's net retention going to look like? What's gross retention going to look like? What's year over year growth going to look like? Like the building blocks, right? You could track a thousand metrics, though not many of them are super helpful to you, right? Um, probably you could drown yourself in tracking 200 metrics of a SaaS company, although not all of them are relevant. I mean, there's probably five to 10 that are very relevant that if you want to be a VC-backed company, they're going to look at. And and kind of to not get obsessed with like an, the industry in kind of like a negative way to your detriment, it's like focusing on like, okay, we're going to make some forecasts at the end of the year when these forecasts turn into actuals, did they land in kind of all these kind of published ranges? Like there's so much published data about how great companies have grown. Bessemer does a great job. Battery does a great job. KeyBank does a great job. It's all free. It's on the internet, right? Like it doesn't cost anything to read Bessemer's published benchmarks of what companies between 10 and 25 million ARR are the top six metrics and it's all published on the internet. Then you say to yourself, well, why can't we be one of those companies? Okay, now let's work it out backwards for us to look like top quartile. How do we do that? And what things do we have to do and what people are missing, right? Um, I always say that I'm running three companies in parallel with LinkSquare. So I'm not running one company, I'm running three. The first company is the people company. It's a great place to work. I get paid fairly. I have a career path. I have mentorship. I have training opportunities. I'm being, I'm being treated uh, equitably, right? And all that sort of stuff, right? Uh, that's one company, right? That's a massive time consuming part of, of life, right? It's just human beings interacting with other human beings. Then there's link squares. What do you look like from financial statements? Every metric, you know, burn rate, CAC payback, year over year growth, all of it, right? Gross margin, cogs, all that stuff. 
And then there's a third thing, which is when you take a dollar from a VC, you're an asset to them, right? I'm an asset class, right? OneSquare's Inc., a Delaware company called Corporation is an asset, right? We're a cryptocurrency, we're a mutual fund, we're a private company. You know, they've invested in us, right? They bought ownership in the company. So sometimes I got to make decisions based on, like, I, I hope the, the decisions I have to make are never in conflict between the three of them, right? They're always well aligned, right? Uh, you know, always take care of our employees, right? And that means like, let's make the financial metrics look really great. Let's make the asset more valuable, right? That helps everything, right? And so when you think about running the company those three ways, it's like you spend a lot of time like, what are the actuals going to look like? And what are the financials going to look like? Are they, are they best in class? Can we be best in class? Of course. Can we try to be best in class? Let's go work really hard at it, right? Um, Link scores as an asset is like a lot more complicated, right? You got to deal with like, you know, positioning and valuation and, and how, what's the fore future forecast of the company, right? But as you kind of get from one to 10 million ARR, you should go fill up the bank account, right? If you got great, great growth, go fill out the bank account, right? Uh, a lot of people fill up the bank account in 2021, obviously. It's great for, for fundraising now, 2022. You know, it's like miniature rest in peace, good times, right? For kind of pre-IPO companies is getting much harder, right? Has been published now. Um, but when you think about that, you don't really have a lot of time to obsess over much else, right? I just think about those three things and then think about our future, right? I mean, we're always thinking six months ahead. I'm already thinking six months ahead. What's a company? What do we need to do? Who do we need to hire? What roles in the company do are we short on what do we need to go invest in right and and that's kind of how you kind of keep yourself how i keep myself centered i think about am i doing a great great job i, I run the, the three different companies in parallel awesome awesome um what, what's the biggest lesson that you've learned in growing let's say from the, the one to ten million arr journey <sighs> arr can usually help you fix most things that are you think are going wrong and it also gives you a nice boost of confidence that you are on the right path, right? If if you, you're focused on the selling part, usually good things are happening, right? You're learning more from the market, good and bad. Hey, good, they bought today. Oh, bad, we lost the deal. But we learned about five features that we don't have that, that people think are valuable. Let's go aggregate that with five other customers, you know, that we potentially lost the deal on and then come create, oh, commonality. Oh, a lot of people needed this feature. We don't have it. Well, that's free input. It's it's free. It's for you to take and gather and prioritize. Um, ARR will really kind of help everyone get more energized about what the future looks like, right? And and uh, if you can focus on that, and you're going to need to focus on it to go one to ten, you're going to have a very repeatable, scalable process. Don't give up, right? Don't give up. <laughs> that's that's been the that's been the greatest journey, and also don't stress. Like I, I could have totally freaked out because I wanted to go one to one to four million ARR and then ten, and then COVID kind of hit, and we ended up kind of pulling back a little bit through the uncertainty. Even though I had just refilled the bank account with fifteen million dollars on our Series A, we had every opportunity in the world to go faster. But again, I didn't want to destroy all of our efficiency metrics if we couldn't run at the same efficiency. So. Even if you don't do it in two years, like you do it in two years and six months, like you're still top of top of the pile, right? But be be flexible to like rework things, right? Challenge your assumptions, right? If things are working, quadruple down on it. Take the biggest stack of chips that you can, especially in the sales process, 
which sub sub segments are working, put all your chips on that. Just do it, right? You know it's going to keep working. You know what your averages are there. Stay focused. Don't get distracted, right? And don't give up. And don't give up. And then once you get to 10 million ARR, it's like you get a little mini brand and, you know, invest in places like G2. Like, like you know, try to get 100 five-star reviews on G2. See what happens. <laughs> You'll get basically free leads come in every day. Just people like, oh, hey, I checked you out on G2. It's great, right? Um, it's a fun journey, right? And and I, I, it's it's an incredible journey when you pull it off and, and and celebrate a lot. Celebrate everything. We celebrate everything. You know, be generous with your time and, and with your team and, and tell them they're doing a great job every day. I try to tell someone in the company every day they're doing a great job, you know, and, and whether I'm working with them directly or indirectly, it, it's so important that they hear it from you as CEO that you think they're doing a great job. That helps everything. Lots of great advice there um, and appreciate you sharing that. But what's the best piece of advice that you've received on your journey uh, as a CEO? Yeah, not not giving up, right? Uh, good times, bad times, don't give up. Don't give up. And, and as you kind of get as you, as you kind of get further in the journey, you feel more of that responsibility to not give up, right? I have 250 employees now. I think we have 50 kids on our health insurance for our employees, right? Like, like not giving up now is m- more important than it was when we had nothing, right? But um, best, best kind of advice that I've heard is like, you get one customer, you can get two. I don't, I don't know how long it'll take to get two. You can get two. And then once you get two, you can get 10. And then after you get 10, you can get 100 mm. if you don't give up, if you keep yeah. at it, right? And everything you want in life that's great is super hard. Great advice. Uh, I think a great way to end the, the show there, Vishal, and just conscious of the time. Where can people find you online, you know, if they wanted to reach out, learn more about you or Link Squares, if they've got any questions? Yeah, sure. Uh, check out linksquares.com and uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm easy to find. Awesome. Well, Vishal, it's been great speaking to you, listening, learning from you. Uh, and I'm sure the audience, uh, you know, will be thinking the same once they've listened to this podcast. So thanks so much for taking out the time to share your playbook of, uh, you know, getting link squares to, to 10, 10 million ARR plus, you know, in just a, a little uh, more than uh, 24 months. So fantastic growth. Um, lots of lessons in there. I really enjoyed uh, uh, listening to you today. So thank you so much, uh, Vishal Sunak, uh, CEO of Link Squares. Yeah, thanks, Alex. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SaaS Doc conferences around the world.